radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes Scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Is that Jesus can return at any time. He's not waiting for a Japanese nuclear power plant to melt down. No. He, he, the thing that's holding him back is his patience and love for lost humanity and nothing else. Uh, there, 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 there are no events that need to occur before Jesus comes back. And so seeing all the things that happen around us and saying, hey, hey, that means Jesus is coming. The answer is, no, no, that's wrong. That's the wrong way of looking at it. Jesus can come at any moment. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. And Luther says the only way that uh, the pronoun me and God could be in the same sentence is by this verb, have mercy. I've got. I've given myself the new nickname. I've thrown aside all the other accolades that you toss at me so freely, Evan. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, they, uh, they, they feel like wine. Bull rider. Yeah, and uh, what else am I... Uh, I can't remember. I can't remember them all either. They're just too numerous. (laughs) In case you need a break from listening to good radio shows, this is Table Talk Radio. (laughs) Wait, didn't we just get a voicemail that said that whoever was listening, they've given up listening to Dr. Laura and Rush Limbaugh (laughs) and are now listening only to Table Talk Radio? (laughs) Yeah. That would be Solus Table Talkus. Radioist, I'm sure that's how it goes in Latin. Oh, were you just telling me that we that we have now four million dollars donated to <laughs> yeah. help for our Mad- uh, Madagascar trip? You got it. Yep. Oh man, thanks guys. That's appreciated. <laughs> Well, actually, we're just shy of that. So we're at about $100. But uh, I'm sure by the time this hits the air, we'll be at $4 million because all of our listeners have gone to tabletalkradio.org, clicked on the donate button, and donated uh, to the Madagascar trip by Smooth saying transition. so in the, in the notes of the donation. You know, $100, it's infinitely more than $0. Oh, yes, it so. is. Absolutely. Uh, we do appreciate that. If you are so inclined, we'll just, you know, uh, let, let's just listen to the Spirit. Just, just see what the Spirit tells you. <laughs> hold on, hold on. In the arms <laughs> yeah, that's right. of the that's our, that's our emotionally, how to be emotionally manipulated by a fundraiser. We need that checklist. Okay, and this, oh, this show is sure to be a disaster because Pastor Wolfmiller has done 100% of the show prep for this show. So, uh, complaints maybe, maybe can be... maybe make that present tense, present tense, is, is doing. Is doing. 100%. <laughs> complaints can be sent to prbw at tabletalkradio.org. Uh, but first, before we go to the emails, we're going to go uh, to some e- uh, buzzwords. So, Pastor oh, yeah. Wolf Miller, what's your buzzword? Uh, my buzzword for you, brought to you by Theopedia, is hyper-Calvinism. <laughs> the term hyper-Calvinism basically means Calvinism. <laughs> it's invented by, by the, those who don't strictly hold to Calvinism. Oh, boy. Uh, here's what Wikipedia says. The term hyper-Calvinism referred primarily to a theological position that historically arose within the Calvinist tradition among the early English particular Baptists in the mid-1700s. It can be seen in the teaching of men like Joseph Husey, Louis Wayman, John Brine, or Briney, and to some extent John Gill. 
It's also called hypocavanism by its critics, critics who maintain that it deviates from the biblical gospel by one denying the call of the gospel to repent and believe is universal for all alike, and two denying that the unregenerate natural man has a duty to repent and believe in Christ for salvation. Now, this is part of our uh, Calvinist outreach program where we insult every Calvinist, isn't it? Yep. Um, is that where, is, is Pastor Charmley colloquizing in yet uh, to the Lutheran? I haven't Minnesota heard Senate? from that guy uh, <laughs> in a long time. I'm sure he's busy at the seminary in Fort Wayne is why we haven't <laughs> heard right. from him. <laughs> well, uh, my... Calling him out by name. Theological buzzword uh, for you also by Theopedia is the word, and I got this side, the random article button, missional. No, that didn't come up. <laughs> Yeah. It says missional is a popular term often used to describe a missionary lifestyle. It can be used to describe uh, discipleship, leadership, a church, etc. But is generally used in contrast to professional missionaries. <laughs> I've been basically going off on this whole thing for like three weeks, but I can't remember if a couple of those made it onto the show. Well, let, let me re- read this and then I'll let you go off on another one just for the fun of it. Um, in essence, proponents claim that missional living is to be expected of all true followers of Jesus in which we are to uh, which which all are engaged in obeying the Great Commission say that again in essence proponents claim that missional living is to be expected of all true followers of Jesus in which all are engaged in obeying the Great Commission um, <laughs> this is so. This is what are, one of our criteria of uh, how big a missionist are you? Ooh, we played that last week, I think. Is it de- denies the uh, de- the office of the ministry? Is that right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's this thing. It's just, a, I mean, you, you know, if you want to be a, a missionalist, this is this is basically how to do it. Is you go and you study the Bible and see how God created an ordered world. You know, He ordered things according to vocation, states and estates, and countries and people. And there's locatedness and there's vocation and there's serving your neighbor and there's daily bread and all that. You study all that and then just do the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember I was writing an email to someone being kind of snarky and mentioned mentioned something about being missional. And uh, I was distraught when I saw the little red squiggly underneath, and I thought, oh, man, I don't know how to spell. And then I remembered the word missional isn't a real word. So that's why it was flagged by spell check. <laughs> Sometimes I forget that. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah, that that's happened. Good. True story. True so, story. All right, Pastor, do you have an email for us? Oh, yeah, man. Uh, here's one. This is from uh, from Jim. How come it's not opening? I don't know, but that, I, I understand why you didn't think that story was real because it's not very likely that I would be snarky. I mean, that, yeah, har- that right. hardly ever happens. So, yeah, <laughs> right. They, they actually have a class against snarkiness at the Fort Wayne Seminary. Uh, oh, really? They do? <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, it's called personal growth. Anyway, um, this is from Jim. Here it came. Uh, this is questions uh, at tabletalkradio.org. Jim writes: uh, First, I have to go back to Ezekiel where I read that God will not hold accountable the sons whose fathers commit iniquity. Why do you suppose God thought it necessary to take his child? This is regarding King David's son. Also, how do you suppose they recognized each other in heaven? Finally, at what age do you think God brought the baby into heaven? I guess 20 or so, uh, because many times in the Old Testament, God orders Moses to take count of the male 20 years and older. Blessing, Jim. So Jim has these questions about King David's son. 
boy, these are some good ones too. Um, okay, so for, the first question is: uh, Remember, so the story is that uh, David commits adultery with Bathsheba, and then has Uriah, her husband, uh, murdered basically by um, uh, with commands to, for war instructions. And David thinks he gets away with it, but he doesn't. Uh, and Nathan, the prophet, comes and calls him out. But also, one of the side effects to this is that the child that David conceived uh, with Bathsheba is also also dies at a young age. Uh, and so the first question is, why did this happen if the God doesn't hold children accountable for the parents' sins? That's a good question. What do you think, Pastor Wolf? <laughs> that is the question. <laughs> oh, uh, yes, well, I mean, a couple of reasons. One, because David is uh, is more than just a private individual. David has uh, has the office of being king and divinely appointed king. So God set David over the nation of Israel. So how it goes with David is how it's going to go with the nation, like we see all through the history. How it goes with the king is how it goes with the people. And so David's sins will uh, have effect on his family and also on on the people uh, because of his office. So we see this later when David commits the sin of the of the census, and it, it, now he's going to have trouble. Uh, you know, for the, the the Lord punishes the the, the nation and things like this. Um, now, the the, the what it means in Ezekiel, especially Ezekiel eighteen, is that the the, the children will not be condemned for the sins of the parents, mm. but there will be. Uh, there will be bad effects, temporal effects of sin in this world. So we and we see this all the time. You know, if parents have a particular temptation or a particular struggle, then that gets really uh, kind of passed on to the third and fourth generations, like God says to Moses. So that's the first thing. Uh, now the second is, how do you suppose they recognize each other in heaven? Uh, what do you, you got? Some thoughts on that, David and his child? Because David says uh, he, he after he mourns his child's death, he he, he kind of cleans himself up and he says this great line. He he will not come back to me. I will go to him. Uh, how will they recognize themselves? Will they recognize themselves, and how do we know? Well, I suppose there's limits to what we can know according to God's revealed uh, will. So um, with that said, um, in the in the resurrection, we have uh, you know, certainly the, the same flesh bodies that we have uh, today. So um, uh, Jesus appears before his disciples and they say, hey, look, Jesus, it's the same guy. You know, Tom, Thomas is putting his his uh, finger in the, the nail marks in his hand. So it's the same bodily resurrection. Now, the question here is, is how will we identify because uh, he'll be a, a child? You know, I mean, uh, I mean, Pastor, I Wolf Miller, I wouldn't have recognized you if I, looked, if I looked at your baby pictures, I'd say, you know, same ugly other baby, some other, other ugly baby. I wouldn't think it was you. So um, I, I don't I don't know how we would identify them as, as babies, except to say that um, uh, perhaps in heaven that, you know, for now we see the, the mirror dimly and in heaven we'll see it um, uh, not dimly. We'll see it the, the full the full picture of Christ. And so um, I think it'd be uh, likely to, to see um, when we have a full picture of our Savior, we know those whom he has died for and loved. Um, and uh, But we have some limitations in this world. So I'll um, maybe get your response to that answer on the other side of this break. Pastor Wolf, me there. After this break, we're going to be playing You Might Be Anathema If, followed by Name That Heresy and Hashtag Theology. We'll be right back on Table Talk Radio.
show ever. <laughs> Table Talk Radio. First you get down on your knees, fiddle with your rosaries, bow your head with great respect and genuflect, genuflect, genuflect. Do whatever steps you want if you have cleared them with the pontiff. Everybody say his own, Kyrie eleison, doing the Vatican right. In just a moment, we'll be diving into you might be anathema if. But first, we're responding to an email from Jim. Jim asked a question. What age do you think we are when we go to heaven, particularly for uh, David's child, who was told that he would recognize when he goes to heaven? So, Pastor Wolfner, what do you think? How do you think David's going to recognize think, his child? Uh, yeah, I, I, the resurrection is easier to talk about because in the resurrection we have a body, and it's easier to have an age by having a body. When we go, you know, the intermediate state is when we die, uh, our body and souls are, are separate from one another, and the soul goes to the face of Jesus for the believer, the body, whatever happens, happens until the resurrection when they're joined back together. Now, I happen to think, this is my own opinion, that we start at the resurrection at the same age where we were. I mean, how old was Jesus' body after he was resurrected? I mean, that's the picture we see. And his body, which was gone, which is raised, uh, is the same body that died. And it was 33 years old. So you start at the same age and then get older. Why not? So so uh, if I die when I'm 85, um, I'll, my body will be glorified to be remove all sin, which would remove the marks of aging, I guess. But yeah. that continue on from 85, huh? Yeah, that's right. Okay. I think so. so we don't get... I mean, the problem with getting older now is that as we get older, um, we get farther from... Uh, we get, I mean, now we get closer to death, but then we'll get... We'll get closer to uh, to life, farther from death, and closer to life. So I think that's, uh, I think that'll be nice. Now, that, but that's my own opinion. But now, what about in the intermediate stage? I I don't know, have any way to think of that. Uh, how old we'll be? The the one thing we do know is that we'll be able to recognize one another, and that we know from the story that Jesus tells about. Um, Lazarus and the rich man. And the rich man can look across the gulf and see Lazarus there and say, send Lazarus to my brother. So he's able to recognize him even across this great gulf. Now, how, how is that? We don't know. But... Uh, but we know it from the scripture, so that's all we can. I think that's all about all we can say. All right, uh, you might be anathema if is the game where we uh, take a little look at the Council of Trent and uh, yeah. learn learn a little bit about their anathemas. Oh boy, this will be fun. Uh, <laughs> I'm working on. Hey, by the way, I would like you to know that I'm currently working on the game. You might be a heretic with as we play the game. That's amazing. That... They're they're probably close to the same, really. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> that, that's ready? to be determined. Well, we should say uh, that the council, maybe for those who don't know, the Council of Trent uh, was a council that convened in the uh, time after the Reformation when these dirty, rotten Lutherans, what was the year that Council of Trent got together? I don't know, 1546 or so, and it lasted for 13 years, I think. Yeah, so so they're, you know, these dirty Lutherans are going around saying you're saved by, justifi- uh, you're, you're justified by faith alone, and so they're going to issue some anathemas that if you believe these things, you are anathema. So, uh, and and these, uh, to my knowledge, in the Roman Catholic Church are still. I mean, it's a council, so they're still in effect in the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah, so. heck yeah, man. All right, let's let's hear. All right, here's the first one. If you are confident that you're going to go to heaven when you die, 
You might be anathema. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. So if I hear from my pastor on Sunday morning that uh, he preaches uh, that because of Christ's work, you are going to heaven, then I'm anathema? Oh, yeah, yeah. that's oh, right. Okay. This is, by, now, by the way, I say going to heaven, um, but you remember if you're Catholic, you're most likely, you know, there's a sorting and you got three options when you die, not the biblical two options. And your three options are uh, heaven or hell or the middle option where most people end up is purgatory. So, I mean, a lot of times when uh, when uh, when a Catholic says, I'm not sure I'm going to go to heaven, they, what they mean is, I'm pretty sure I'm going to go to purgatory. But, but not only does the Council of Trent condemn that kind of thinking, I'm going to go to heaven, it condemns the thinking that I'm saved. It, it, here, here is chapter 11. Uh, oh, for heaven's sakes, what decree is this? Who, like, sorting out where these this stuff. Oh, yeah. Sixth session held January 13th, 1547. Decree on Justification, chapter 11, titled Against the Vain Confident Confidence of the Heretics. Stop me when you want to comment. But although it's necessary to believe that sins neither are remitted nor ever were remitted, save gratuitously by the mercy of God for Christ's sake, yet it is not to be said that sins are forgiven or have been forgiven to anyone who boasts of his confidence and certainty of the remission of his sins and rests on that alone. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa, whoa. I think I'll comment. <laughs> so uh, they're kind of giving uh, lip service that, yeah, it was, the, it was the death of Jesus that atoned sins. But that doesn't include those who are so arrogant to know that their sins are forgiven. Mm-hmm. Now, you, at the, while we're playing this game, you might be anathema if, uh, and also preparing for a uh, name that heresy, I, at the same time, preparing for a ladies' Bible study here in a little bit. And um, we're, we're <laughs> studying uh, Hebrews chapter 10, and it has yeah. this verse. It says, Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, mm-hmm. having our hearts sprinkled clean from the evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now that would seem to be a bit of a certainty that the author of the Hebrews is giving to us because if Christ's blood has been spilled for us and it has then we have a pure and clean conscience. If you think Hebrews was right (laughs) you might be anathema. That's exactly right. So, I mean, you see, this is how we define faith as confidence in God's promise. But the Catholic Church defines faith, the Council of Trent, anyhow, defines faith differently. Namely, it defines it as a virtue. Mm. See? Which is, that's a difference. So it's not confidence. That, that's also con- condemned to damn to hell somewhere in here. I mean, you, you can see, I mean, the Lutheran theologians really just got under their skin here because it's kind of like when you're eavesdropping on someone's phone conversation and you can't hear what the caller's saying, but you can only hear the person who's talking obnoxiously on their Bluetooth headset in front of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're only hearing one side of the conversation, you can kind of figure out what the other side is saying. So when, when uh, Trent is, is anathematizing those who have certainty and confidence of forgiveness and salvation, maybe the other side was saying you can have certainty and confidence. I mean, this is what the Lutheran Reformation was all about, wasn't it? Right. So, so, right. I mean, uh, to, to know, to have comfort of conscience uh, that I am not going to be in the crosshairs of God's wrath, but I know that that's in a, been appeased by uh, Christ's death for me. Right. That's right. And the, and the Catholic Church will, will anathematize that that confidence. What what it what they're putting what they are uh, dogmatizing is doubt. <laughs> 
It's you, they're, they're, which is what uh, like the, the Lutheran theologians would call the monster of uncertainty. You, but 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 really, for the Catholic, you have to always be in doubt of your salvation. That's part of their piety, and to have the confidence that you're saved is considered impious hmm. or impious, depending on how you want to say that. <laughs> I, I want to say impious. Now, look here. Here's another one. Uh, with great vehemence is this vain confidence and one alien from all godliness preached up in opposition to the Catholic Church. But neither is this to be asserted that they who are truly justified must need without any doubting whatever settle within themselves that they are justified and that no one absolved from sin, uh, no one is absolved from sins and justified, but he that believes for certain that he is absolved and justified and that absolution and justification are affected by this faith alone. You see, you see? Now, th- this is an amazing thing that we have uh, then in, in uh, uh, Christianity, particularly the Lutheran understanding of Christianity, and that is that uh, God has bound Himself to His Word. <laughs> I mean, so, so for another, in other words, you walk up to a uh, your friend the, uh, in the the Muslims, and you say, uh, "Hey, how do you know that you can have forgiveness?" And the Muslim will tell you, "A uh, God, I mean, God can do whatever He wants. If He wants to forgive you, He will. But He." He doesn't have to forgive you. But right. in Christianity, uh, we have a God that, of course, he doesn't have to forgive us, but he has bound himself to his word. Mm-hmm. He has declared a promise. And because we know God cannot lie, he has bound himself to the promise. I know. That's right. What we need, I mean, you know how you see everywhere people are saying you, you can't put God in a box? That is, that is in fact, anti-biblical. <laughs> uh, because you know what God, he puts, he puts himself, not in a box, but he puts himself in a book. He puts himself in a promise. <laughs> <laughs> we need God in a book. Yeah. In a right. word. And, yeah. and and that itself is for comfort, right? I mean if God yeah, yeah. if God limits himself, if he puts himself in a box, and we know we can find God in that box or in the book yeah, as you said. Right. Yeah. All right, we have about a minute and a half. You better get another one. Whoa, okay, okay. If you agree oh sorry. If you agree with the writings of Saint Paul <laughs> you might be anathema. All right, you're gonna have to explain this one. I'm pretty sure <laughs> there's some Catholics around there that like to read Saint Paul, so what do you yeah. mean? <laughs> Well, here I'll just give you a, I'll just give you one canon. Oh, this is. I think this is also the sixth session, canon uh, nine. Remember, chapters chapters come first, then the canons where they dish out the anathema. Oh yeah, now I remember that. Yeah, and it says this: If anyone saith, that means says, that by faith alone the impious or impious, is justified in such wise as to mean that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to the obtaining of the grace of justification, and that it is not in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the movement of his own will, let him be anathema. Whoa. And then another, I mean, this is the whole thing. If anyone says that men are justified either by the sole imputation of the righteousness of Christ or by the sole remission of sins, to the exclusion of the grace and the charity which is poured forth in their hearts by the Holy Spirit, and is inherent in them, or even that the grace whereby we are justified is only the favor of God, (laughs) let him be anathema. Or this, if anyone says that justifying faith is nothing else but confidence in the divine mercy which remits sins for Christ's sake, or that this confidence alone is that whereby we are justified, let him be anathema. So if I'm sitting here reading Romans chapter 3 that says, uh, now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witness by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all those who believe there is no distinction for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. 
and it you justifies it. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, after this commercial break, we're going to be playing Name That Heresy. We'll be right back. Best bump ever. <laughs> Because some people have a high pain tolerance. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. Hey, I have a uh, question for our listeners. Uh, Several months ago, uh, we were looking for a uh, volunteer to help us out with some uh, audio editing, and I want to thank Chris for stepping up. And and remember how it used to be that uh, Table Talk Radio podcast feed wouldn't be updated for like two months, and all of a sudden, eight of them would come flowing in uh, all at once. Now it's a weekly update, and that's thanks to Chris. We appreciate that. I have another little project I'm working on, not for Table Talk Radio, but for my church. And I was wondering if there's someone else who has some some skill in uh, audio editing software and some time and doesn't mind doing some mundane tasks. I would really appreciate some help. If you could email me, evan at tabletalkradio.org, I would appreciate that. Um, All right, so we are playing uh, Wimby one more round of You Might Be Anathema If. This will be my favorite one. Ready? (laughs) If you listen to Table Talk Radio, (laughs) you might be anathema. (laughs) Oh, that's for sure. Uh, But, but, I mean, is this kind of like the last one? I mean, what what does that mean? No, no, this is, so not only is it counsel, I was listening to uh, my new favorite uh, Catholic apologist the other day. What is his name? Trent something or other? Wait, that's the name of the council. (laughs) I am Trent. (laughs) He changed his name. That's wonderful. (laughs) He was born Fred. (laughs) Changed his name to Trent. (laughs) Trent Vatican. (laughs) If you were changing your name, would you, would it be first name Trent, second name Vatican, or would you do Vatican Ooh, Trent? I think Vatican Trent. I think Vatican better. Trent sound better. Yeah, yeah. Mister Trent. Okay. This, by the way, is uh, Vatican Trent was on the radio and he was talking about how he was reading the Council of Trent, where it says that owning heretical books uh, and uh, listening to heretical uh, teaching is anathema. Uh, so great has been the clamotiousness of the times. I don't even know what that word means. Um, this I'm reading from Trent, by the way. No. And such an... What, why are all these using these words? I don't know. And such the inveterate malice of the heretics that there has been nothing ever so clear in our statement of faith, nothing so surely settled, which they, at the instigation of the enemy of the human race, have not defiled by some sort of error, for which cause the Holy Synod hath made it a special care to condemn and anathematize the principal errors of the heretics of our time, to deliver and teach true Catholic doctrine, even as it has condemned, anathematized, and decreed. Uh, it goes on to say, and, and this is, and I keep looking for this passage, i got to find it here, but that there's a list of sacred books, and books that are approved by the Council, and those that are not, and if you own or have in your possession those heretical books, you're anathematized. Now, my new favorite Catholic apologist was talking about how this is troublesome for people who have things like cell phones and can pull up blogs and podcasts of heretics. Whoa. And, and Because the church no longer, because of the new media, has lost control over the uh, what people can own. Yeah. This, by the way, though, is going to be the answer to why we don't have many. Our Catholic outreach program, unlike our Calvinist outreach program, mm. both also known as our COP. Get it? COP. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Catholic and Calvinist. Mm-hmm. They both have a C in it. Anyhow, uh, that is a is kind of a failure because I think if they if you even listen to a heretic like you or me, uh, you become anathema. Sorry, I have a I have a certain uh, uh, matrix already in mind for COP that went somewhere else. Um, all right, so uh, so no, th- this is hard because you can't have an old fashioned book burning. You have to throw your iPhones in there. Nobody wants to throw their five hundred dollar iPhone into an iPhone burning. Um, yeah, so, yeah. So, so the t- guy, this Catholic apologist, was saying that the solution is going to be that they need to join in the conversation, which I'm all for. Hey, so all right, one eight hundred three eight five Sola. One eight hundred three eight five seven six. Five two is a number to to jump into that conversation for all of our Catholic listeners and uh, Catholic apologists as well, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. Indeed. Let's go to name that heresy. This is where Pastor Wolf reads about, a heresy. Let's change the game a little bit, a little bit more. We'll play, uh, what if we play? Name that heretic. So show prep didn't go go too well, huh? <laughs> well, it went really well. I pulled out my my uh, my box of uh, theologian trading cards. A fun way to learn church history and theology. Uh-huh. Oh, indeed. Uh-huh. These are provided for me by our listener, Sean Kilgo. Thanks, Sean. And I got, and they, and so it divides up teachers into different teams. And these, uh, I have the cards here for the Orthodoxy Dodgers. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Get it? Yeah. So I'll read the description of a, uh, of a uh, heretic, and then I'll give you uh, three choices. How about that? Oh, I like that. And you can, t- yeah, yeah, I thought you would. And you can tell me. <laughs> I was like, man, I better pull up a list of heretics. (laughs) (laughs) All right, ready? Ready. Living between the year 100 and 160, this fellow was one of the most influential Gnostic theologians of the second century. Educated in Alexandria and later teaching in Rome, so-and-so was well-respected and influential in the Orthodox Church. In fact, he was nearly elected to the bishopric of Rome, losing the appointment by a narrow margin. Tertullian wrote of this event as the turning point for this guy, who indignantly left the church to teach his own doctrines. The significance is this. Adopting a variety of Gnostic concepts, this fellow developed a large and influential following, which continued to flourish following his death. Most of what is known of his writings are quotations found in the writings of the early churchmen, but the discovery of the Nag Hammadi Library provides some evidence to suggest the Gnostic text, The Gospel of Truth, may have been written by him. Irenaeus ascribes the text uh, by this title to uh, to this fellow in his work Against the Heresies. Whoa. All right. Is that A, Faustus Scosinius, B, Theodore of Mosutestia, or C, Valentinius? Hmm. So the Gnosticism was this uh, idea that the material world is bad and the uh, spiritual, the sort of unknown, is good. And a large part of Gnosticism was kind of obtaining this sort of secret knowledge, right? So if you if you got this, then you could uh, transcend this evil uh, material world and uh, really be um, uh, more of the spiritual. And this kind of led to this, uh, you know, we should all... Eat, drink, and be merry, because uh, for tomorrow we die. I mean, this 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 world doesn't really matter. It's really what goes on uh, spiritually. Now we have some remnant of Gnosticism uh, still in the in our world today. Some. <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> um, but you know, you know, yeah, barely. <laughs> you got to look hard to find it, though, by opening your eyes. 
<laughs> we are in the Gnostic Matrix. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Well, I mean, one of the places that I see it in the Christian church um, is that this idea that anything spiritual has to be non-material. So you walk into yeah. a, a Lutheran church, and there's a, 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 a grumpy old pastor that needs a haircut, and he yeah. is baptizing a little baby. And the objection is, ah, that can't be valid because um, something spiritual can't be physical. And uh, yet we have the promises of God. Uh, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. All right. But I think um, I remember a, uh, a, a Gnostic. The only, the only one that I can remember from church history is this uh, Valentinian. Is that C? That's right. Oh. You are right. Ding, ding, ding. Right. Valentinius. Valentinius. All right. All right. By the way, so that's Valentinian Gnosticism. Now, you have your general Gnosticism, which is like spirit good or matter bad. That's your kind of general Gnosticism. Uh, but then you have the more uh, kind of classical, and that's the, the classical Gnosticism is Valentinius. And, he, and he's the one who will talk about all the all these gods are named, and you have the you have the arc deities, and you have the processions, the from there, and you have the eons and the emanations and all this kind of craziness, and uh, and it's really weird. But there's still Valentinian Gnostics hanging around. In fact, I remember one time a few years ago, I was teaching on this Arabic seminary thing. That's another story. But there's this guy, and I was teaching on the Book of Revelation, and this guy was asking me these strangest questions. So I started talking with him, kind of chatting with him on the side, and figured out that he went to a Valentinian Gnostic church in California. Whoa. Huh. So anyway. So, so it's still hanging so, around. So don't name your congregation uh, St. Valentinius Lutheran Church. <laughs> Valentinius. That's right. Not a saint. Weird that Tertullian got elected in his place or something here, huh? Yeah. All right. All right. Want to play again? Yeah, let's play again. Wait, 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 wait. Do I get points for that? Oh, yeah. Two million points. All right. Good thing it's multiple choice, eh? Yeah, I like that. All right. Uh, here we go. Uh, born in the British Isles in the 4th century, this heretic later moved to Rome and became an influential teacher. He made his most significant mark during a period he spent living in Rome, emphasizing the freedom of the human will and an aesthetic lifestyle. This fella denied the doctrine of original sin and claimed that man could achieve perfection in natural life. He developed a theology of salvation that denied the depravity and incapability of man, believing that man entered the world with the ability to actively participate in the reception of God's offer of salvation. He found himself embroiled in debate with Augustine of Hippo and Jerome, among others. Augustine leveled the accusation that his ideas, which emphasized man's moral capacity while diminishing the necessity of God's action in salvation, ultimately were a denial of the grace of God. He eventually left Rome, and his ideas were condemned as heresy at the Council of Ephesus in 431. Okay. Okay. I would need some options here. Your options here are A. Sibelius B. Pelagius C. Paul of Samosata. Hmm, okay. Well, I'm going to ponder on that one a little bit and then maybe give you an answer on the other side of this break. Ooh, 
day. In the meantime, our listeners can visit tabletalkradio.org and check out the merchandise shop um, right there on tabletalkradio.org. We have all of your favorite maternity T-shirts, doggy dishes, you know, all those things that you've been looking for. Frisbee? Can you do uh, frisbee? Golf? I don't know. We have a frisbee. I'll, we'll look oh, into man. it. We're gonna we're gonna find a frisbee and and uh, put it up there uh, during this break. We're we'll right back, and then we'll continue with hashtag theology right after. Oh this. yeah, that's right. <laughs> hashtag awesome. <laughs> Table Talk Radio. After a while, you just get used to it. Celebrities and politics, we are never, ever, ever getting rid of Twitter. We are never, ever, ever getting rid of Twitter. You can tweet to your friends, tweet to my friends, tweet to me. Because we are never, ever, ever, ever. Getting rid of Twitter. Hashtag awesome. That's what's coming next. <laughs> How many new games do we have? We played uh, You Might Be a Heretic if before, but this is the debut of the pure awesomeness. Oh, I am excited for that game. Of the game Hashtag Theology. By the way, you still have to guess on your heretic first, though. Paul of Samosata, Sabellius, or Pelagius. Oh, yeah. So you were talking about this guy who went to Rome. He was teaching about the freedom of the will. Uh, that man innately had the ability to participate in the grace of God. And uh, again, uh, if you if you look hard enough, you can find that in uh, today's world as well, if you look hard enough. Um, but I think that there's this Turn guy... over every rock and leaf. <laughs> find someone that believes in man's free will. Uh, I think this is going to be the guy by the name of Pelagius. Indeed. So, ding, ding. All right. How many more millions of tabletop? Two million points. Oh, man. Rolling in the points. Bringing you to a total of four million. All right. All right. right. Hashtag theology. Explain how this works, Pastor. Well, so there's this thing called Twitter, which I figured out is how the guys over at the Boars in the Vineyard. Hashtag Boars in the Vineyard. What are they? Something like that. No, no. It's not hashtag. It's at. Anyway, on, uh, they're on Twitter, right. and they've got like 30 listeners. So here we are. We've been doing the show for seven years or whatever, and we got 10, 15 listeners. And those guys start, and already they have at least 20 people listening to the show. And so I'm, I have to admit, a little bit jealous, and mm-hmm. uh, how are they doing mm-hmm. it? So I've been doing the in-depth research, <laughs> and I think this, the way that they're doing it is that th- these guys are all over the Twitter, the, the, the electronic cesspool known as Twitter. <laughs> They're there, and they're uh, and so so anyway. Uh, so, so theology so, in 140 characters or less. Right. So I gotta figure out how to um, how to how to how to get in there and capture the 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 activity, the bustle of things that are are that are Twitter. So we, we in other words, this is our attempt to be more relevant. So by the way, I'm embroiled in a controversy, by which that means I said something and someone responded to it. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. On Twitter, because I said yesterday this, without the sacraments, the promise of the gospel will always and only be an abstraction. And I can't believe someone took 
Someone took exception to that statement. Hmm. Yeah. That's something. Yeah. Anyhow, the way the way you now so Twitter has two things. You have the person, and the way you do that is by putting the at in front of them. That's what I think. And then it has a hashtag. Now I don't know exactly what the hashtag thing is. I thought it was just a way to make a funny punchline. Uh, but apparently there's something else to the hashtag. If you know anything about Twitter, something. send an email to Pastor Wolfman or PRBW at tabletalkradio.org. This is That'd embarrassing. Now, oh. the way, so the way we can do this is we're going to search. You're going to give me a, a hashtag, and I'm going to search it and read the couple that come up and see which is – and we can just dive. We could just wade into this, to this electronic cesspool together. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. <laughs> All right. And make well. our impact. We want to impact the the world. This is what I call being hashtag missional. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Well, I want to do a, a... Hey, that was your buzzword. Oh, yeah, that's right. Boom! It's not that I didn't catch it. I just thought it was so lame. Okay, 500 points. But I'm going to do it then. Um, hashtag hyper-Calvinism, please. <laughs> two points. hyper So I've got four million and two points. Yeah. Hashtag hyper-Calvinism. Uh, let's see. Oh, this is not a narrow mind. Five-point Calvinist speaks out against requiring Calvinism for uh, for salvation. Hashtag hyper-Calvinism. <laughs> so you got to be a five-point Calvinist in order to go to, sal- to in order to go to heaven, huh? Yeah, apparently. Here's, okay. here's someone who says, Still, there may be no stronger example of why hashtag hyper-Calvinism is worse than a fake religion in a sci-fi novel. <laughs> Whoa. All right. It sounds like a fake religion used for background color in sci fi novels set in the 2020s, but it's a real thing. Hashtag hyper Calvinism. All right. I got another one for you. Let's do hashtag Christ follower. See what that comes up. All right. Hashtag Christ follower. Let's see what happens. Uh, Very happy birthday to my something, this guy. And hashtag inspiration, a hashtag leader, and a hashtag Christ follower. Thanks for everything. Oh, here's here's another one. Got ash? Hashtag, <laughs> hashtag, <laughs> hashtag, Ash Wednesday, hashtag Christ follower. Oh, here, here, here's it. Even when nobody else will stand, stand on your own. Hashtag Christ follower. All right. <laughs> Uh, so usually the Christ follower thing is saying, hey, I'm taking what Jesus says more seriously than you are. Um, uh, always, It's always an attempt to, uh, uh, to separate yourself from other Christians who don't take the religion as, much, uh, as seriously as you do. Um, how about this one? Hashtag- well, hold on, I got another one. Hashtag Christ follower. Tell me what you think this means. Live for a love that never fails to impress, and you will never be bored. Hashtag Christ follower. How about hashtag legalism? No, 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 no. I don't want to do that one. Um, <laughs> All right, I'm ready. You got right. another one? Uh, how about hashtag it's a relationship? <laughs> All right, hold on. That's this kind is... of a long one. Let's see what it comes That's up That's a lot here. of letters. <laughs> That's a lot of... Uh, Let's see. He offers, but he offers friendship to the godly. Hashtag Proverbs 312. Hashtag it's a relationship. Wait, wait, read that again. But he offers. 
Uh, but he offers friendship to the godly. Friendship to the godly. Okay. There you go. Here's another one. If you have a Bible verse in your bio, but don't live it out on the daily, <laughs> why bother? <laughs> Hashtag, it's a relationship. Hashtag, not a label. Oh my goodness, that's great. <laughs> You're not living out that Bible verse you have on your bio. <laughs> on your bio. <laughs> this, is a, this is a good one. Here's another. Standing in a church on Sunday doesn't make you a Christian. Just like standing in the gym doesn't make you fit. Hashtag gotta work at it. Hashtag Whoa. it's a relationship. All right. Okay. So I mean, I, I think the the common the common thread in all of these is that Christianity is the things that you're doing so that you would make yourself appealing before God or at least before the neighbor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to do another one. Um, ha- oh, you're gonna love this one. Hashtag Lutheranism. <laughs> I might get a tweet from Pastor Wolfmuller. Yeah, that's right. Don't Hashtag use that word. <laughs> uh, let's see. Overdoing another interview with Thomas. I got to look down a little bit to try to find one that has something in it. Okay. Oh, here's one. Franz Pieper apparently has a uh, uh, Twitter account. <laughs> At Franz Pieper says, if Christ did not perfectly reconcile every man with God, there is no gospel. Hashtag Lutheranism. Okay, I need you to give it to me one more time. If Christ did not perfectly reconcile every man with God, there is no gospel. Hmm. I like that. Yeah, that's good. Well, nice that Peeper has a has a Twitter account. That's pretty Yeah, awesome. that's right. Um, let's see. Let me see. I would have... Um, let's see here. Uh, Luther... Oh, yeah, here. Hashtag Lutheranism will have to settle for being a church that those burned out by hashtag Calvinism repair to. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, what about that's probably true. What about this one? Uh, Hashtag God is awesome. That's probably out there somewhere. God is W E S O N E. Oh, the video comes up. I can't do this. Uh. Uh, oh, how about this? Yesterday I wrote my bucket list. Today I see an item on my bucket list. Hashtag it's a sign. Hashtag God is awesome. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> I, I mean, is that guy psyched about it? I mean, hey, I'm one step closer to kicking the bucket. <laughs> That's right. Oh right. boy, it's a sign. It's right. It might be a sign that the end is near. Okay. Uh, th- this is just kind of sappy stuff. Today was a great day. I don't think it could have been better. Hashtag happy. I'm so happy. All hashtag right. God is awesome. I right. gotta get a better one. One more. Uh, we have about a minute left. How about hashtag praise Jesus? <laughs> <laughs> you are obnoxious. <laughs> All right. Let's see what happens here. What do you want me to say? Uh, hashtag genus myosoticum, please. <laughs> we should try that. Uh, I've survived 18 years on this earth, mostly unscathed and the whole uh, and whole. And if that's not cause for some applause, I don't know what is. Praise Jesus. Hashtag praise Jesus. Okay. Uh, I'm going to do genus myosoticum, except I don't know how to spell it. You have about 30 seconds to figure it out. <laughs> M-A-E-S-T. Oh man, I'm gonna. That's trending on Twitter. (laughs) 
Nothing comes up. I can't believe there's not a thorough you, and long discussion of you, the genus myostaticum here. You could have the first tweet uh, with the hashtag genus myostaticum. Yeah, this I is probably didn't great. spell it right. <laughs> you have the first tweet, the misspelling of genus myostaticum. <laughs> <on Twitter. laughs> <laughs> Everyone's searching for that. But, hey, who's B Wolf at B Wolf? <laughs> well, we want to hear from you. Give us a call 1 800 385 SOLA or uh, email questions at tabletalkradio.org. Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Where the points are like taking the Lord's Supper at Valentinius's church. Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Table Talk Radio is not for everyone. Please consult your pastor before listening to Table Talk Radio. Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, headache, heartburn, hair loss, hallucinations, and aversion to incomplete sentences with aquatic imagery, psychosis, coma, death, halitosis, lung cancer, brain tumors, sleep gain, internal bleeding, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the Calvinists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org. 